The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This podcast contains mature content and listener discretion is advised. Also, be advised, we are not medical professionals and this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. This is a test of the emergency podcast system. It is a true emergency. Quick, run. Welcome to Mystery Team Inc., the podcast where we're recording in a real studio today. I know, it's like it's a real podcast. We started on the floor, mm-hmm. like what, four years ago? Mm-hmm. And then we got a desk. Yes. And then we went back, back to, to the, the floor, floor in a closet. Listen, not all journeys are linear. <laughs> then we got out of the closet. Mm-hmm. I ended up back on the floor under some stairs. Mm-hmm. And then we were separate for two years. Mm -hmm. And we haven't recorded together in two years. Oh, my God. I didn't even think about that. I did. And I cried about it last night a little bit. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I wasn't there to support you in your time of need. I wanted You told me that I wasn't allowed to be um, emotional about this until we recorded. I did explicitly (laughs) tell her that she had to save her her drama for the (laughs) podcast. I was like, not for friendship, only for the show yeah so i did save it wow and now and i'm having are. a lot of feelings do you have any other business no that was all my business just, the just big being here life-changing <laughs> event that's happening <laughs> yes all right great so for the first episode in the studio i wanted to do something different um and i didn't <laughs> i <laughs> is this like when you wanted to do a cryptid and then you didn't yeah and Similarly to that, um, I wanted to do cryptid. It ended up being an alien. This time, I wanted to do something not related to space because I ha- just did an alien one, and I did something related to space. Um, okay. So, so oops across and the board, welcome. just oops and you're welcome. <laughs> um, I'm Maggie. I'm Kayla. We did it. We did it. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Okay. So my mystery today is the mystery of Planet Nine. <gasps> What? It's been on my list for a while, and I researched two other ones for a week each, and then I was like, I have to, it's calling me. Mm-hmm. Planet Nine was calling you? Planet Nine was calling me. And baby, you picked up the phone. <laughs> and baby, I answered. I was like, hey, I'm so sorry, can I call you? <laughs> and then I hung up and I texted Maggie, and I was like, I don't know why he's calling me, like it's 2022, <laughs> just fucking text me, goddammit. Um, okay. My main source is um an episode of the show How the Universe Works, mm-hmm. season five, episode one, if mm-hmm. you're looking for it. I also They're not, use... but okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, they should be because it's really good. Um I also used a bunch of National Geographic articles, which is why our email got so many like come back to your cart alerts. Oh my god. <laughs> I was getting those emails like every day. And it was like, did you forget something? And it's yes. like, I was like, I can't look at this. Yeah. Because I can't know what she's researching. Um I think I unsubscribed though. Good. That's fine. Because they tricked me. <laughs> they were like, if you buy a digital subscription, you can read all these articles you want to read. And then I did buy a digital subscription and they were like um, can you please enter the account number for the physical subscription that you have? And I was like, I don't know what to do for you because I don't have it. So I spent $6 for nothing. That's a trap. It was a full trap. Who is buying physical? Anyway. All of my fifth grade art teachers. <laughs> and me in just fifth have grade. stacks and stacks and stacks of National Geographic. I miss it, but I don't have this physical space in my home. You know? Yeah. 
Also, they're all yellow, which is like a choice for a color. I like that. No, for sure. I'm just saying you're going to have a whole wall of yellow and it's like elephants. On a bookshelf or are you suggesting I frame them? No, 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 on a bookshelf. (laughs) Okay. Only the spines. Yeah. Oh, I kind of like that. Uh Uh-oh. Did I just talk you into buying a physical subscription to National Geographic? Yeah. Do you want a job? This We started out like on a campaign against National Geographic and we've landed on. And I'm here now, I am. Yeah. I've just Give me sold. 30 seconds. I just have to do something really quickly on the internet. No. <laughs> um, okay. So I used National Geographic and our main girl, Wikipedia, really came to the rescue for this one. There's not a lot of other people looking for information about this. Um and then the people who are providing it are providing it for astronomers only. So it's like scientific papers. And I'm, I'll read your abstract, but that's as far as I'm going. You know, can't do it. So here we go. Beyond the orbit of <laughs> Neptune. <laughs> Beyond the orbit of Neptune, there is a vast band of icy objects orbiting the sun which are remnants of the formation of our solar system. This is called the Kuiper Belt. These objects are similar to asteroids and comets, but they are currently classed by scientists as their own type of object, a Kuiper Belt object or a KBO. Most Kuiper Belt objects have a largely circular orbit around the sun, just like planets. But on November 14th, 2003... Astronomers Michael Brown of Caltech, Chad Trujillo of Gemini Observatory, and David Rabinowitz of Yale University were working on a survey at Palomar Observatory in San Diego when they noticed something strange, an object moving along a highly eccentric orbit at a distance of 90.3 AU from the sun. AU is astronomical units. It's equal to the distance from the sun to the Earth. And that's how they measure everything in our solar system. I forgot that everything in space is just, like, made up. I forgot that, like, science, like, physics, everything's just made up. It's all made up. It's all fake. They're like, oh, Neptune is 16.3 times the distance from the sun to the Earth. Yeah. Like, our podcast is, like, three PUs, which are podcast units. And that's just (laughs) however long it is. It's always three PUs. (laughs) Um, Also, when you said they were doing a survey, I thought you meant, like, a... Knock, yeah. knock. They were waiting outside our solar system's local <laughs> <Yeah>. Trader Joe's. <laughs> exactly. To ask them about like their political affiliation yeah. and if they wanted to contribute to, if they wanted to sign this bill to legalize weed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this one like wealthy white woman went in and was like, there are people soliciting outside. <laughs> and then a week later, there was a sign outside the Trader Joe's that said no soliciting. Mm-hmm. Um, all people and incidents of that story that may seem <laughs> factual are <laughs> no relation to um, to the Trader Joe's All that I go to. All people in this story are fictional. Yeah, what's the disclaimer? Bear no resemblance. Like anyone bearing any resemblance. We are not medical professionals. <laughs> and- <laughs> so this object uh, was given a minor planet designation 90377 Sedna. Minor planet designation is just um, an astronomer way of saying they get a number and a name. And that number name is called a minor planet designation. There's a lot of unnecessary names. (laughs) So Sedna is technically a dwarf planet with a surface composition similar to all trans-Neptunian objects, which is a mixture of water, methane, and nitrogen ices. Sedna's aphelion, or farthest point in its orbit from the sun, is 937 astronomical units, which is 31 times the distance from Neptune to the sun. And its perihelion, or closest point to the sun, is 76 astronomical units. It has the second largest orbital period of any known object in our solar system of comparable or larger size. It's 11,400 Earth years. Um, And the interesting thing about Sedna was that its orbit was extremely eccentric, which means that it deviated aggressively from a circle. Wait, it takes it 11,000 Earth years to go around the sun? Mm Mm-hmm. And it goes, I know this is a non-visual medium, but for Maggie, it it goes like this. Wow, she's doing a lot of crazy. What are you doing? (laughs) Sit back down. (laughs) Put your shirt back on. (laughs) Tie your shoes. Um, Then, on November 5th, 2012, 
Chad Trujillo, and Scott Shepard were working at the Cerro Tololo Inter-American Observatory in Chile when they observed another object that caught their eye. This object, 2012 VP113, or Biden. What? They named it Biden. Oh. I was just going to say, can you and I give them all nicknames? Because I'm going to lose track. But that one has a nickname already. Yeah. Um, I think you're really only going to need to know those two names, if that helps. Sedna and Biden. Mm-hmm. Biden was VP at the time. <laughs> That's such a weird choice. I know. <laughs> Wait, what did they know? <laughs> I know. How fun for them now. This is where everything loops back into conspiracy theory. Oh, my God. Like, this is the point at which the science runs right into a conspiracy theory for me. We hear, like, a... It's just two men in suits. (laughs) (laughs) So, Biden is a minor planet, um, and it has an extremely eccentric orbit, but its perihelion is the largest in the known solar system, while its aphelion is actually only half of Sedna's. I don't know what that means. <laughs> so the t- <laughs> the point at which it's the closest to the sun is the longest point at which a thing is closest to the sun in the solar system. Oh, like it's close to the sun for the most no, it's, time? No. The distance at which it is the closest to the sun, like the distance uh-huh. from the sun to Biden, uh-huh. when Biden is the closest to the sun. Is the farthest is away. Is the farthest away of, of anybody. Okay. Yeah. So... Biden's discovery was announced on March 26, 2014, and in the paper, the team suggested that perhaps there was a ninth planet in the solar system that was responsible for the eccentricities in Biden's orbit. And Mike Brown of Caltech, who was on the team who discovered Sedna, saw the announcement of the discovery of Biden and was like, God damn it, there's no ninth planet. Now I have to do all this extra work to disprove them. And we'll get to why he's so serious about the ninth planet deal. Okay, obviously it's related to his core wound because that's <laughs> it what is. I know about storytelling. 100%. Was his father killed by the eighth planet and he's out to disprove the existence of the ninth planet because the eighth planet is the last planet? Yes. Okay, great. Anyway, thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> so Mike Brown went to his coworker, Constantine Batigan, and was like, we got to prove that there's no planet. I'm not dealing with this. And Constantine was like, great, I'm on it. And they looked at the data and they realized that the six most distant objects named in the paper all had elliptical orbits that were pointing in the same direction Uh and tilted at the same angle. They were all 30 degrees downward with respect to Neptune. Not suspicious at all. (laughs) So they took those six orbits and they plugged them into a computer simulation and put a ninth planet in the mix to Mm -mm. see what would happen. And much to their dismay, they found that a ninth planet actually perfectly explained the orbits. I could have told you that. I didn't even (laughs) need a computer. Yeah, but you know about storytelling. Oh, yeah. They're a scientist. Right. Um, But... They also found that the simulation showed a second set of eccentric orbits that were perfectly perpendicular to the ones observed in the Biden discovery paper. So they were like, (laughs) okay, on the off chance that these planets, these objects exist, then I guess we'll have to admit that maybe there could be a ninth planet. And then Mike Brown was like, I hate to say it, but. In the last three years, people have been discovering more Kuiper Belt objects, and some of them might fit (laughs) these orbits. And they put them in, and they matched perfectly. They also put Sedna in, and obviously the ninth planet perfectly explained Sedna's dumb orbit. And so they concluded that there has to be a ninth planet beyond Neptune, influencing the orbits of these Kuiper Belt objects. Now, this is not the first time the idea of a trans-Neptunian planet has been proposed. Neptune was actually mathematically predicted before it was observed, which leads to the prediction. So Uranus was discovered in 1781. In 1821, 
French astronomer Alexis Bouvard published astronomical tables of Uranus's orbit, including his calculations predicting its future positions based on Newton's laws of motion and gravity. Pretty straightforward. But then, upon observation, it seemed that Uranus's orbit did not match his very straightforward predictions. And astronomers decided there were several possible explanations for this discrepancy. One, the effects of the sun's gravity at such a distance differs from what they think it would, you know. Mm -hmm. Or it was observational error, which astronomers love to throw around. (laughs) They're like, you saw that wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And then other astronomers have to be like, I used my eyes. Yeah. Or number three, Uranus was being pulled from its predicted orbit by an unknown, unseen, undiscovered planet. Two astronomers slash mathematicians, John Couch Adams from England and Urbain Leverrier from France, both became convinced that a planet was responsible for Uranus's orbit, and they independently set to work on reverse calculating the mass, location, and orbit of the planet based on their observations of Uranus's deviations. And <laughs> Urbain Leverrier couldn't convince anyone in France um, to listen to him. Mm-hmm. So he had to send his calculations to England, to astronomers in England. And John Adams was also sending his calculations to England. Uh, and Astronomers in England started looking at the sky. They should have sent their calculations to the U.S. because within like six months, they could have had a whole cult that was like praising <laughs> the ninth planet. You know what yes. I mean? Like, we just buy anything here. Anything. We might have had He could have run for president. Yeah. Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, because he was from France? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he could have run. No, I don't think you can even run if you're born out of the country. I'm not saying you can. He would like officially file to run. I'm talking like street corner sign that says like the end is near. Mm. I'm you know like Tiger King. Like I'm running for president. Now. So by that logic, is that guy from Instagram who holds signs different places? Is he also running for president? I think anyone can call themselves running for president. Okay, then I'm running for president. I'll vote for you. I'm running on a campaign of You're not Planet old Nine. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> I'm pre-running for president. Okay. We're pre-engaged. Yeah. So based on their math, and we'll get into a little bit who's math, but. <laughs> <laughs> who's that math? <laughs> it's French. Well, that's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Were they measuring in desunite astronomical <laughs> instead of. <laughs> instead of watcher, look how far away that is. <laughs> No, I'll tell you what happens. But so on September 23rd, Leverrier sent his most recent calculations regarding the location of what would soon be Neptune to Johann Gottfried Gale, Gale, G-A-L-L-E. He's German. Gall, I feel Gall. like. I, I don't know. <laughs> I said it and then you said it like, ugh. No, it was the thought, my actor thought was obviously you bing bong at the Berlin Observatory. And then on September 24th, 1846, just after midnight, Johann Gottfried found Neptune one degree away from Leverrier's prediction. What? See, if he had come to the U.S., he would have been like a prophet. This is 1846. He could Mm -hmm. have been like... He could have been Joseph Smith. Do you know what I mean? Like if yeah. he came to the U.S. and was like, he doesn't have there's to say a it planet. was math. <laughs> yeah, he could just be like, "There's a planet. I'm a prophet," and everyone would have been like, yeah. "Yes, you are." And then we would have had like the Temple of Leverrier. <gasps> I would have been born into that cult. <laughs> yeah, you would. and I would not have left. No, um, and you would have been right. I would have been right because <laughs> he was right. <laughs> And that's how I would proselytize. <laughs> I would have been like, um, do you All see that? All their shirts would just say, he was right. He was right. And also, we would have to do a cam- like an anti-John Couch Adams campaign. <laughs> yeah. Because there was an anti-John Couch Adams campaign. After Neptune was discovered, there was like a fight, mm-hmm. basically, between England and France. Because France was like, well, obviously, our guy found it. It was his math. And Britain was like... Um, 
actually. You were like, well, well, well. <laughs> Look but- who wants to claim him now. <laughs> yeah. But there was a whole fight about whether, because John Couch Adams was working with the royal astronomer. Mm-hmm. Royal naval astronomer, I think, was his designation. But he... And he was kind of, like, pulling the strings for his mentee behind the scenes and, like, getting his research Mm -hmm. to the right people. And then people were like, well, was he actually even doing that research? And then there was a very long, long fight about who actually predicted Neptune. And then some papers were found. And it turns out that John Couch Adams never actually got that close. Mm -hmm. And uh, even though originally the reporting was that Leverrier never got that close, we don't know. But somebody predicted Neptune. I think it was Leverrier. <laughs> um, so after Neptune was discovered, people started throwing around the possibility of a planet beyond Neptune, a ninth planet. Um, some astronomers believed that the deviations in Uranus's orbit could not be adequately explained by one planet. Um, some believe there was one planet beyond Neptune and some thought there might even be two or three. Uh, the search for this planet or planets began in 1900 in earnest. And there's like, if you go to Wikipedia, there is like lists and lists of people. Don't you talk about her like that. (laughs) If you go to Wikipedia, there's like lists and lists of people just thinking, thinking about maybe there's a planet. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and there's not a lot of like observational attempts what you doing just thinking about maybe just there's a planet about maybe there was a planet <laughs> and the main the main player in the search for this planet was a man named percival lowell who founded the lowell observatory in flagstaff arizona in 1894 um, and then in 1906, he began a search for a trans-Neptunian object that he called Planet X. Hmm. Now. Planet X. Planet X. Lowell's- Is Planet X a rom-com I'm going to pitch about a woman who makes a wish on a falling star and then gets a monkey's paw where she accidentally ends up on a planet only inhabited by millions of clones of her ex-boyfriends who are all running like a utopian society and they have to work together to get her home and she falls back in love with one of them. Yes, it is. Or does she fall in love with With herself? herself. No, you're right. Yeah. It's like, uh, I feel like Amy Schumer has pitched that one. (laughs) Well, yeah, she would would be great for it. Yeah. It's Amy Schumer and Bill Hader and... Planet X. And like two really hot guys like Channing Tatum. Mm -hmm. Is he really hot still? Mm, I think we need new faces for this, don't you? Like no names. Mm -hmm. Not like Timothy (laughs) Chalamet. I don't know. Who do the teens like nowadays? Zendaya. They could all the exes could be (laughs) Zendaya. (laughs) I'd watch that movie. Yeah. So Lowell's main goal... In searching for Planet X, apparently, was to <laughs> reestablish, like, a glimmer of scientific credibility because he he lost all of his because in the, <laughs> in the, in the time leading up to his search for Planet X, there was, like, a revolution in planetary science where some guy was, like, there are canals on Mars. And then people fought about what they were. And Lowell, like, very vocally joined the group of people who insisted that they were built by an alien civilization. Mm-hmm. And so nobody liked him anymore. Um, and then it was proven that there were actually no channels on Mars at all. Yeah. And everyone was fighting over nothing. So he had to, like, win the respect of the scientific community. That's his fault. Should have been thinking about maybe there's a planet. And then... Well, now he is. <laughs> <laughs> is it... Do you still respect it if it's because he's trying to recover from ancient alien Martian aqueducts? 
Like, is it like, is a good deed a good deed if you're doing it because you feel good about doing a good deed? It depends on how you're framing it. Because if it's a hundred good deeds for Eddie McDowd, then yeah, it's a good deed even if it's about redeeming yourself because he's going to learn friendship along the way or whatever. Okay. But the aliens thing is like so (laughs) specific and weird that it almost maybe ruins it. You know, I don't know. Like if he just like really believed in a star that wasn't there and then he was like, I have to win back my credibility. That would be one thing. But like, I don't think he did. Being like, aliens built the canals on Mars. <laughs> and nobody's listening to me. So I guess if I find this planet, then uh, maybe I'll listen to oh, about the aliens. Did he still believe in the aliens? I don't know. I don't know that. But in if it was me, <laughs> I would be like, yeah, guys, I was totally wrong about the aliens on Mars. And then secretly, I'd be like, I'll fucking show them. <laughs> I'll show them about aliens. I'll find Planet X, and then they'll have to believe me about yeah. the aliens. That's what I would do. Yeah. So he was trying to redeem himself. Unfortunately, he died suddenly in 1916, having never even come close to locating Planet well, X. Well, no, it's a tragedy. It's yeah. not like a redeeming. You set me up. <laughs> <laughs> According to Wikipedia, for several years after his death, his widow was engaged in what? Oh, nothing. I was just going to say, oh, it was her story all along. It no. was like her story that she was going to like pick up his research and no. then she I'll was going to become. I'll tell you story it okay. is. So for several years, his widow was in a legal battle with the observatory, quote, over Lowell's legacy. I can't find anything else about this. I don't know what. Did you check National Geographic? Yes. (laughs) I don't know what it was, but it delayed the search for Planet X until 1925 when Lowell's brother, Abbott Lawrence Lowell, who was president of Harvard at the time, paid for a new 13-inch wide field telescope for the observatory. So his blood That's adorable. I know. Also, I forgot this was like 1900. So I take everything back because this was like they were probably like giving him cocaine for his toothache. (laughs) And so actually believing in aliens and also (laughs) searching for Planet X is not that bad. Yeah. I kind of like it. Yeah. Um, Then in 1929, the director of the observatory, who is named Vesto Melvin Slifer, handed the search over to a a 22-year-old farm boy from Kansas named Clyde Tombaugh who had just arrived at the observatory after <laughs> Slifer like received some of his astronomical drawings and was like get that boy over here <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god I love that Wait, and what year is this 1929 Okay yeah so he fully like hopped off the train at LAX mm-hmm. no <laughs> with a dream no No, like in overalls with no shirt and two like carpet bags. (laughs) Like blonde hair. Well, gosh, I sure do love to look at the stars. (laughs) It's very like N. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Where was this observatory? Um, Flagstaff. Oh, yeah, that's right. I've never been to the big city. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is the Wild West at this point. Yeah, and I imagine it like I think probably. I'm a cowboy of the stars. (laughs) (laughs) I think um, Tombaugh was like probably like very lean and muscular and blonde. I'm imagining and just Kenneth Parcell. As, oh, it's um, much sexier in my head. <laughs> I think Vesto and Clyde like were secret lovers. Oh, I love There's that no for them. this is I am not a medical professional. <laughs> There's no I, evidence of this. There's no evidence. This is of this. just you've written a slash fic in your head for these two astronomers. I wrote um Planet X <laughs> slash fic. <gasps> Where he's like, oh my god, like, like Vesto is like behind him showing him how to use the telescope <laughs> and like their hands <laughs> touch. <laughs> it's too bad we don't have a Patreon because that would be amazing bonus content. If I you would just write posted it. your slash fic. Oh, anyway. So I'm really glad we went in such aggressively different directions. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so Tomba's method was he would take two images of the same section of the night sky two weeks apart and then place them in something called a blink comparator, which just sh- flipped the pictures back and forth. Mm-hmm. It's um, a flip book. It's a flip. It's, it's a two-page flip book. Um, 
And then if there was a planet in that section of the sky, it would move and the stars don't move. Um, on February 18th, 1930, after searching 2 million stars for almost a year, Tombaugh noticed... That's a lot of blink comparing. It's so many blink comparates. <laughs> <laughs> he noticed a moving object on the plates that were taken on January 23rd and 29th of that year. And it was just six degrees from one of the two locations Lowell proposed for planet X. And this object would later be known as Pluto. Wow! It's his story. Wow. So, almost immediately, people were like, mm, Pluto is too small and its orbit is too eccentric for it to be technically a planet. But there was no one in charge of planets. <laughs> so... And nobody had discovered anything that could be a planet since Neptune. So Tombaugh was allowed to be like, it's a planet. Yeah. So Pluto was a planet. But everyone got really mad about it. And they also said that it definitely wasn't big enough to affect Uranus's orbit in the way that that Lowell thought Planet X would. Um, And then that continued until 1978 when astronomer James W. Christie found Pluto's moon Charon and was able to then... Karen. Yeah. I love it. Not like Karen. <laughs> no, it is. But like it's ca- too bad. C-H-A-R-O-N. No, no. How do you pronounce that? It's Karen. <laughs> Karen. She's the one who went to the Trader Joe's employee about that. <laughs> I feel like maybe the, it's a long O sound like Charon or something. I don't know. Listen, it might be pronounced Karen, but in my head, it's fully K-A-R-E-N is all I'm saying. I'm fine with that. It's canon. So Pluto, it was determined that Pluto was actually one five hundredth the mass of Earth and one sixth the mass of our moon, which was far too small to account for the discrepancies in the other planets' orbits, which meant that Pluto couldn't be planet X. In my mind, it's like in a movie where it's like you see Pluto and everyone's like, but that's not big enough to be a planet. And like in the back, it's just dark. And then as you zoom out, you realize that that's like a shadow of like a giant, like an anglerfish. Like, yeah, it's, it's like, like the Alaskan Pluto. bullworm's tongue. Yeah, and then you like <laughs> zoom out and like behind it is like just a massive. And it's his mom. Yeah. <laughs> Pluto's mom. <laughs> the unsuccessful search for Planet X continued until... 1993. In 1989, Voyager 2 had done a flyby of Neptune, and the data collected had resulted in Neptune's mass being revised down by 0.5%, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it's like the mass of Mars. Mm -hmm. And then in 1993, astronomer E. Miles Standish used the new mass to recalculate Neptune's effect on Uranus's orbit. And the new mass changed the math so that the discrepancies in Uranus's orbit completely disappeared and we no longer needed a planet X to explain anything. <gasps> and that's where we're going to take a break. Oh no. And we'll come back for a further journey through planetary history. <laughs> <laughs> Just what everyone came here for. You guys, it's, listen, it's our show. I could do a po- episode of whatever I want. <laughs> <laughs> It's my turn with the talking stick, and I won't talk about planets. And you will. I will continue to do so. We'll be right back after these messages. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome back to Soothing Existential Nighttime Radio. It looks like we have a caller on the line. All right, caller, you're live. Where are you calling from? It's you from the future! Welcome to the show, me from the future. Did you have a request for us tonight? I'm quite want to do this joke. What was that, caller? You cannot do this 
joke. I'm so sorry you're breaking up. You cannot do the joke. You don't have a pun. Fine. Well, it seems like the call is dropped and I couldn't quite hear what the last word was, but I guess I'll find out when I make that call. And I uh, probably shouldn't have done this joke. I don't seem to have a punchline. Next up, six ways you may be sabotaging yourself. But first, a song for all the lovers out there. Okay, when where were we when we last left our heroes? When we last left our heroes, math decided that there we don't no need a planet, planet X. X at all. Yes. Horrible. Horrible. So when Pluto was first discovered, it was suggested that perhaps Pluto was one of soon-to-be many similar trans-Neptunian objects and that there existed in the solar system a collection of small objects left over from when the solar system was forming that never had the chance to become planets. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like a baby planet nursery belt? It's it's a little darker than that. Uh. It's more like... Um, it's like, like they, they never became babies? Yes. That's sad. Yes. I hate that. Yes. From the time Pluto was discovered until about 1987, a lot of people just sat and think about, like, what's out there? <laughs> and <laughs> everyone was like, why isn't there more stuff out there? God, wouldn't it be cool if there was stuff out there? What kind of stuff could be out there? And that's what astronomy was for a long time mm -hmm. in certain circles. Mm -hmm. In 1987, David Jewett, who was at MIT at the time, became, quote, increasingly puzzled about the apparent emptiness of the outer solar system, end quote. That's the scientific way of saying, why isn't there more stuff out there? Yeah. <laughs> Um, and asked his graduate student, Jane Liu, to help him look for objects beyond Pluto, saying, quote, if we don't, nobody will, end quote. After five years of searching, on August 5th, 1992, Jane and David announced that they had found a Kuiper Belt object that they called 1992 QB1 using the University of Hawaii's 2.24 meter telescope at Mauna Kea. Six months after that, they discovered a second Kuiper Belt object, and the hit kept coming. <laughs> and today, there are over 2,000 documented Kuiper Belt objects. But the discovery of the many, many, many Kuiper Belt objects that kept being similar to Pluto cast an excessive amount of doubt on Pluto's designation as a planet. Pluto really got like, uh, participation trophy. Pluto was set up for failure. Yeah. Pluto was, Pluto's planethood is like my history as like an academic success. <laughs> like I was told I was an academic success because I wasn't being challenged. And then the second I was challenged, I would completely fell apart at the seams. <laughs> so they were like, you're a planet. And it, he was like, I'm a I planet. Know, yeah. And then you and were about were like, to watch it fall apart at the seams. Yeah. <laughs> um, they were like, are you? And he was like, am I? Am I? And they were like, all these other people say they're planets too, but they're not actually smart. And I'm like, I guess maybe I'm not smart. <laughs> anyway, that's the end of this therapy corner. <laughs> <laughs> so on July 29th, 2005, Astronomers at Caltech announced that they had found another Kuiper Belt object. The team, led by Mike Brown, named the new object Eris after the Greco-Roman goddess of strife and discord. discord yeah. Mm -hmm. She's the one that rolls the apple in and that they, starts the fight. This is exactly what Eris did. It's like such a good name. And I think they knew. And that's why they named her Eris. Yeah. So Eris. They were like, this is this fish is gonna fuck some shit up. She's about to fuck everything up. So Eris became the ninth most massive object orbiting the sun. Some even called it the tenth planet. It was never classified as a planet. <laughs> but <laughs> L listen, we just don't want to put labels on it. I'm like, why like ruin a good thing, <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's exactly what everyone was saying. Everyone was like, listen, she already, we're already getting all the benefits of her being a planet without the label. Why buy the cow if you can get the milk for free? Exactly. You know? Why name her a planet if you can get all the planetary right. 
They're like, isn't Eris your planet? And they were like, oh my God, no, oh not God, our planet. Stop, no. no, we just hang out a <laughs> Maybe lot. Maybe one day later, like, we'll talk about it. <laughs> I'm just like really Why busy. are you rushing things? <laughs> um, but because Eris was bigger than Pluto and never was classified as anything more than a minor planet, people got even angrier that Pluto was still a planet. And they screamed at each other and screamed at each other until in August 2005, the International Astronomical Union finally was like ready to DTR. (laughs) (laughs) And by that, I mean they nailed down an official definition of a planet, which we didn't have until 2006. So here are the criteria you must meet to be a planet. One, you have to be in orbit around the sun. Two, you have to be massive enough to be rounded by your own gravity. More specifically, the gravity of the object should pull it into a shape that is defined by hydrostatic equilibrium, which basically means that the planet's gravitational forces of like the gravitational forces of the body itself are balanced and the planet doesn't implode on itself. Mm-hmm. Gravitation gravitationally stable. And three, it must have, quote, cleared the neighborhood around its orbit. This is an actual term used by scientists, and it means that the object has become gravitationally dominant in its orbit and cleared out all similarly sized bodies from the area except for its satellites. So if anything else on the orbit with the object is more massive than that object, it's not a planet. For example, the mass of the Earth is 1.7 million times the combined mass of everything else on our orbital path, Mm -hmm. excluding the moon. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately for Pluto... Excluding the moon is the title of my (laughs) first studio album. Oh, I love that. So unfortunately for Pluto, it doesn't meet the third criterion for planethood. His mass is 0.07 times the combined mass of everything else on its orbit. So it, like, doesn't get to play at all. But the IAU decided that objects that meet number one and number two, but not number three, like Pluto and Eris, get to be dwarf planets. And it was this decision that named Mike Brown the man who killed Pluto. Oh, my God. And that is why it's ironic that on January 20th, 2016, Mike Brown and Constantine Batygin officially announced their theory that a ninth planet existed beyond Neptune. Wow. They really were like, Pluto, honey, I'm sorry if I'm going to be a senator by 30. (laughs) Yes. I need to marry a Vanderbilt. And Pluto was like, what? Like, it's hard. (laughs) And it was. And it was. <laughs> and then, the, like, Pluto saw them with this other planet? Like, what? Yeah. it's Well, we're still in Act 1, actually. Okay, great. In the story of Pluto, Planet 9, and Mike Brown. Yeah. We haven't met Vivian I yet. know. That's what I'm just saying. Yeah. Like, they went looking for another planet. Yeah. So, Mike and Constantine said that their calculations predicted that Planet 9 would be 10 times the mass of Earth. And it would orbit 20 times farther out from the sun than Neptune. Its perihelion would be 19 billion miles from the sun. Well, yeah, you have to manifest the characteristics you want in a planet. Yeah. This is what they want. They want it so far away. (laughs) (laughs) Its aphelion would be 112 billion miles from the sun. And it would have an orbital year of between 10 and 20,000 Earth years. So all they need to do now is find it. Here's the problem. Seeing Planet Nine from Earth is the equivalent of seeing a BB from 18 miles away. How do I know that? They did a full recreation of the solar system on how the universe works, <laughs> where the sun was a kickball, and then they like made it in the desert, like between LA and Palm Springs, basically. And they were like got in a jeep and drove 18 miles to show that like this is how far away Planet Nine is. Our main questions regarding Planet Nine are, where did Planet Nine come from? How did it end up in the outer solar system? And what is it made of? In the wake of the proposal in 2016, astronomers came up with four main theories regarding Planet Nine, and they're all super metal. So get ready. Every time they introduced a new one, I was like, "Mm, yes, space. (laughs) Theory number one, 
Planet Nine is a rocky super-Earth. Interestingly, the most common type of planet that has been observed in other solar systems in our galaxy is a rocky super-Earth, and we just don't have one. And we don't know why. You're my super-Earth, Earth. Earth. Oh, But she's just normal Earth. Not to me. (laughs) To me, you're (laughs) super-Earth. If she's your super Earth, show her. This Valentine's Day, I case. <laughs> By giving her the ugliest necklace she's ever seen. It's a heart made of three different pieces for some reason and welded together. It's a, it's a heart made of three infinity signs. <laughs> to show her that you hate her and have bad taste. Yeah. So a rocky super Earth is just a planet made of the same materials as Earth. Rock. <laughs> Thanks like, for explaining that for bigger. the layman of us. <laughs> no, it's just a big Earth. The difference between Planet Nine, Rocky Super Earth, and Earth is really just that Planet Nine is so far away from the sun that it does not benefit from the heat of the sun. So the question is, what does an Earth-like planet look like in like the cold of space? And the answer is super fucking metal. Apparently, a Rocky Super Earth that far from the sun would look like the volcanic landscapes of Iceland. It would have Earth-like features like plate tectonics, volcanoes, mountains, and canyons. Um, And the sheer mass of the planet would generate enough internal heat to maintain volcanic eruptions. But once the lava reached the surface, it would instantly freeze and turn into obsidian. Mm -hmm. That's dope. And the gases from the volcanic eruptions would immediately turn into snow. Cool. So it would be like, and there would be snow like, it would be snow canos with like obsidian and like fire bubbling below the surface. So where would a rocky super earth be born? And how'd she get all the way out there? Um, most super earths have been, that have been observed in other solar systems are actually very close to their home stars. So scientists think that if planet nine is a rocky super earth it may have formed in the inner solar system and then (gasps) migrated out but one of the main arguments against planet nine being a rocky super earth is that there wasn't it's unlikely that there was enough material in the early solar system to create mercury venus earth and mars and a planet nine so this is not a popular theory but i do love a fire and ice like Hot and cold, will they, won't they, planet. (laughs) Theory number two. I don't know why they named them like this, but theory number two is a super mega ultra Pluto. Oh, no. Yeah. A super mega ultra Pluto would be an ice planet that formed in the outer edges of the solar system, just like Pluto, but like much bigger. That's just a super Earth. No. That's just a regular Earth, no. but cold. No. It's made of ice. <laughs> okay. It's just an ice Earth. It's not a super mega Pluto. Yes, it's it is. It's just an ice Earth. Are you just saying it's an ice Earth because Earth is a planet and it would be an ice planet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just don't know why they had to name it like they, they like changed the metric by which they're naming all the things. Yes. Well, because Pluto is like a ball of ice that mm-hmm. was formed out there. Mm-hmm. And Earth, like, it's just that, but really big. Earth is a ball of rock that was formed with In the here. sun. Yeah. yeah. So rocky super Earth is like a big version of that, and a super mega ultra Pluto is like a big version. Yeah, of sure. Ice Man. Okay. Just let them have this. The Ice Man cometh, as they say. <laughs> so an ice planet as large as Planet Nine would have enough mass to create enough internal heat to have liquid oceans. So the surface of the planet would have fucking ice volcanoes. Ice Kano. Ice Kano, which is the next Asylum film. And then... (laughs) I'm sorry I left before that one, actually. (laughs) That one's going to be really good. And then below the frozen crust, there would be a slushy ocean. So it would be like half water, half ice crystals. Mm -hmm. And if this exists, it would be the largest body of water in the solar system. The problem with the super mega ultra Pluto theory is that... Is the name, yeah. (laughs) Is the name. I love the name. Is that the other Kuiper Belt objects, like Pluto, 
are so small that it doesn't make sense that anything that big would form in the same conditions that the little guys formed. Because if it was possible for bigger things to... They say, like, if it was possible for bigger things to form, then why are all the little things so small, basically? Counterpoint, it's its mom. (laughs) (laughs) I think that might be it. And it's standing there behind him like, don't you ever talk to my son again? (laughs) Yes. Don't look at him. Exactly. Theory number three is that Planet Nine is a mini Neptune. We don't have any other (laughs) (laughs) metrics. Yeah. We can only compare them. But what is Neptune made out of? Gas. Okay, so just a gas planet, an ice planet, and a rock planet. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like I know, big but... ice, small gas. <laughs> okay, would you rather... Mini Neptune. Would you rather hear about big rock, <laughs> big ice, and small gas? Or would you rather hear about a rocky super Earth, a super <laughs> mega ultra Pluto, and a mini Neptune? I forget that like scientists are so creative with their naming yeah. conventions. I think because... It's more fun to be like, yeah. oh, actually, I'm researching um, a super mega ultra Pluto <laughs> yeah. than to be like, actually, I'm researching um, a big ball of ice. Mm-hmm. Let them have this. Let me have this. Mm-hmm. So a mini Neptune Planet Nine would be a gas giant similar to Neptune, but smaller that formed in the gas rich zone in the middle of our solar system, just like Jupiter, Saturn and Neptune. Gas giants have stormy atmospheres that are tens of thousands of miles deep and a a little rocky core. Because Planet Nine, if it exists, is so far out in the deep cold of space, the heavier molecules in the atmosphere would fall to the surface and you would be left with just the lightest elements floating around, like probably the atmosphere would be pure hydrogen and pure helium, meaning that it would be, it would have a very clear atmosphere. And the interior of the planet would be lit by lightning storms and solar winds from distant stars lighting up as they streamed down the planet's magnetic fields. So the way they described it is that it would basically look like um, a bioluminescent sea creature floating in space. Dope. Like a comb jelly, but a planet. We love that. Super metal. And the big question about a mini Neptune Planet Nine would be... um, How did he get all the way out there? Mm -hmm. In 2011, scientists attempted to replicate the formation of our solar system using a supercomputer simulation. And they found that the models didn't work unless they included a fifth gas giant that formed with the rest of them and then was like spat out into the solar system. And astronomers have observed... (laughs) ejected planets just like floating free of their solar systems (laughs) in the empty space between stars. So we know that that's possible. Um, In this case, it would have to have been that the gas giant wasn't completely expelled, but like somehow managed to like hang on to the edge (laughs) of the solar system by like the tips of its fingers. Um, It's also possible that while the solar system was forming, gas giant planet nine was on its way to becoming like a Neptune-sized gas giant, but it got too close to Jupiter in the cesspool nursery and got flung out (laughs) of the incubator by its gravity um, before it could become a full gas giant. Theory number four is that Planet Nine is actually a stolen alien world. This So our sun was born in a like stellar nursery along with thousands of other suns. And it's possible that as the solar systems were forming and the stars were still close together, our sun flew too close to another sun and just like <laughs> stole the planet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. So most... Detractors of the Planet Nine theory say that the observations of the Kuiper Belt objects with eccentric orbits um, is actually down to confirmation bias. There is a an article on Science.org where <laughs> that says, "quote The orbits of a handful of distant lumps of rock are not bunched together by the gravity of Planet Nine, as its proponents believe, but only seem clustered because that's where telescopes happen to be looking." End quote. Which is, like, possible, but way less fun. 
they're just like there's stuff everywhere. Yeah. So the fact that there's stuff there doesn't mean that yes, there's a exactly. planet there. And there are some studies that have shown that this is not necessarily true and like some studies that confirm this. But until we see the planet, we have no idea who's right. In August 2021, Mike and Constantine announced that they had found even more Kuiper Belt objects with eccentric orbits that strengthened the argument for a planet nine. And they published a treasure map of a narrower area of the sky where they suggested Planet Nine could be observed. But they, I don't want to say did themselves a disservice, but they had to like change their original theory because when they first published their findings, they calculated that there was a 0.007% chance that the orbits of the Kuiper Belt objects were a fluke. And now it's a 0.4% chance, which in space math is a huge difference. Um, They also said that now they think Planet Nine is closer than they originally thought. They originally said it was 400 astronomical units, and now they're saying it should be about 380 astronomical units. They also said that the planet, they think the planet is now six times the mass of Earth as opposed to 10 to 20 times the mass of Earth. And that the planet would also have a year, an orbital year of 7,400 Earth years as opposed to 10 to 20,000 Earth years. Um, What the heck? Yes. Which also means that it should be easier to see because it's closer and brighter. Um, It also interestingly lines up more closely with the theory given by the team that discovered Biden, who said that the planet would be about five times the mass of Earth. So some people are saying like, well, you said 0.007% chance and now you're saying 0.4% chance. So how can we trust you? And then some people are like, well, science is an evolving area of work. So like if we have two theories and they're kind of far away from each other and then they're getting closer and closer, doesn't it seem like maybe we're on the right track? People will be mean about anything on the Internet. (laughs) So the next step in the search for Planet Nine is actually going to happen in 2023 there is an 8.4-meter telescope that's going to survey two-thirds of the night sky, quote, uniformly and repeatedly. That's opening at the Verici Rubin Observatory in Chile, and they're going to use it to look for Planet Nine. And until then, we don't know. We don't know. And that's the story of Planet Nine so far. Wow. To be continued. TV. The end? Question mark? The fun thing about this is that it really gives scientists a platform to be really petty. Mm -hmm. And I love that for them. What happened to that guy? Which guy? Tom Brokaw. Oh, the sexy farmer from (laughs) Kansas? Yeah, those guys. He just like was the guy who found Pluto. But then what happened? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I'll do a little update next episode. We did find his um, diary. What? They found his diary. What? And it says like, dear Ma and Pa. No. I've never been to a big city before. (laughs) No. There's these things called cars and they go faster than a horse. You wouldn't even believe. Well, he's from Kansas. Are there no horses? Which is where Kansas City is. No. Is it? It's not. (laughs) No, that's one of those Midwest mysteries. We don't know where Kansas City is. (laughs) I'm going to have to look it up. Episode 78. Where is Kansas City? It's like when I did Epcot and everyone (laughs) wrote emails and we're like, listen, I couldn't tell you. I've been there. Couldn't tell you. We've got to go. They're making a real Epcot now. Do you want to do a whole update on this? I think we should. Yeah. But yeah, I'll just like tease it, which is that Disney is now building like Disney like story village. I think. What is it called? I couldn't tell you what the ridiculous name they've come up with is, but it's it's like the fever dream of every Disney adult you've ever met. Yeah, it's like a real place where you can go live and it's all just like Disney IP. But it's basically like I realized as soon as I read it, it's like what the original vision of Epcot was, like the experimental prototype community of tomorrow. And we're going to have to do some research and give an update. I think this is going to be credited as the beginning of the end of human civilization. (laughs) (laughs) You could be right. Wow. Wow. Great mystery. Thanks. Um, 
Next time I'll do something a little more accessible, but. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like this mystery could have an update, like, in the not too distant future. It definitely, it either will be like Planet Nine found or for the next thousands of years. (laughs) It's just going to be scientists being like, Like, um, actually, maybe thinking about, thinking about maybe there's a planet out (laughs) there. Thinking about maybe there's a planet out there. Yeah, we don't know. Well done, my friend. Well researched. Thanks for listening to my space math babble. I loved it. I'm glad. All right. Well. Until next time. Until next time. We don't know. know. Oh. God damn it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) We, it's, we're what, 77 episodes in? We've never nailed this down? It's fine. I like to live a little spontaneously. We don't know. Stay in your lane. Fuckle the buck up. Interplanetary smooches. Or, depending on who you ask, smooch units. Smooch, (laughs) because if the smooches are square, (laughs) then they're not technically smooches. So... Remains to remains to be seen. Are you a scientist? I could be. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.